The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the strategy and process of building brand loyalty. Joining us is Paula Thomas, who is the host of the Let's Talk Loyalty Podcast, which is an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. Paula publishes content every week to share the latest ideas and marketing insights from loyalty specialists around the world. And today, she and I are going to talk about how to define customer loyalty. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Paula Thomas, the host of the Let's Talk Loyalty podcast. Paula, welcome to the MarTech podcast. It's super nice to be here, Ben. It's really, really lovely. Well done you on just such an extraordinary success story. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, we talked about this before we pressed the big red record button, that you are a professional podcast host in the marketing space. You're, I think, one of the only two of those in the world. I think the only other person that's just making a living off of running marketing podcasts is here, unless you know of somebody else. We're not exactly a dime a dozen. We sure aren't. Absolutely, Ben. And I certainly would position myself as the first independent loyalty marketing consultant. And I love running a show about something that is very niche, very focused and has, I guess, like your listeners, a really passionate um, interest in being educated and inspired. I appreciate that. Talk to me a little bit about your background. How did you get into loyalty before you were in the podcast game? It's actually a great question, Ben, because what I have learned about marketing overall is obviously like everything, it goes through cycles and really does reflect what's going on in the economy. And I guess I was extremely lucky during the last recession, in fact. So Ireland, like everywhere else, was extremely badly affected back in 2008. And I ended up as a freelance marketing consultant with no work to do. As you can imagine, consultants weren't uh, really being hired too easily. But somebody said, look, we're running a loyalty program and it's not running very well. So can you come in and operationally fix it? So it was a really fascinating invitation. It was for a telecommunications company called O2, in fact, probably very well known. I'm sure you know it there in the US as well. So I literally came in and ran that loyalty program for seven years. And what I learned actually, Ben, is it's an extraordinary way to, first of all, consider how you connect with your customers, how the business takes care of them. And also, I think, develops a very commercial perspective for marketeers because 
I've always struggled with spending a lot of money, for example, on brand campaigns, on TV, for example. I don't know how to justify that kind of level of spend. But when I look at a loyalty program, it's much more measurable. We're looking at changing customer behavior. And ultimately, obviously, that's about getting a return on investment. So that's when I got into it. And here I am, I think that was 2010. So many years later, I don't do the consulting piece anymore, but obviously have found a passion and a niche in creating content in the same field. So you worked for a large brand and you got a loyalty program that you had to scale dropped in your lap. And I think that the question that I have starting off at the beginning, it sounds like when you were similar to me starting off as a consultant in the ATM phase, anything for money. Yes. <laughs> great, great. There's a project in marketing. I'll take it and I'll figure it out. And you're doing loyalty. So how did you think about what brand loyalty was and what a loyalty program is back then? And how has that changed as you become more experienced? I think loyalty, like everything, has evolved dramatically. So historically, it would have been very much around things like points. And there is an extraordinary format and understanding, I think, with customers, really to make sure that points are a currency that we can use to leverage. But actually, I think in the industry that we were in, it was actually just not a very viable proposition. So the margins in telecommunications, certainly in Ireland at the time, were tiny. So we started to work with a totally different model of loyalty, which in fact is coming to fruition now for a lot of brands. And essentially what we did, Ben, was we identified partnerships that we could create. So my job was to go out to some of the biggest stores in Ireland, explain to them about the scale of our customer base and ask them if they wanted to do something exclusively for our customers. Now, typically that consisted of a rich discount. And the one condition I always had was it had to be exclusive to customers of our phone network. So I think what I really learned at that time, Ben, was there are plenty of companies and loyalty particularly helps when there's a utility that customers perceive as being almost identical. So my phone company and your phone company often are seen as almost the same. The handsets are the same. The pricing packages are the same. So how do you differentiate? Energy companies are another good example. Banks are another good example. So loyalty really is a very powerful tool to identify for customers, here's a reason to be with this phone network. So to answer your question, I certainly perceived it as beyond points, and I definitely still do. I think stamps and lots of other models, I think we're coming through. Things like gamification obviously became very popular. And all of those are still continuing to evolve. So we're seeing lots of things like, for example, community becoming a really important part of loyalty programs. So how can I connect my members to each other in a way that adds value? And also things that are quite innovative, like uh, subscriptions, for example. So paid loyalty programs. So yeah, it's really changing dramatically. I hear what you're saying where most people think of loyalty programs and think of, well, my credit card, I get points or I get cash back. If I use the product or service, I get a discount. And that's something that is meant to keep me around. I want to go into more detail about defining loyalty, because I think for the largest brands in the world, it's about customer retention. But there's a whole other circuit of businesses, your early stage and your growth stage companies that are trying to retain customers. They don't have that brand equity built up, but they want to develop loyalty as opposed to keep loyalty. So how do you think about what loyalty really is and how do you apply it to some of the smaller brands? I, first of all, would always talk about the difference between the mindset of loyalty and the mechanics of loyalty. So one of my favorite guests, for example, on the show 
really talked about the founder's mindset as being the single most compelling differentiator for successful companies. And I loved that simple understanding that if you're a founder of a company, you're going to take care of, nurture and acquire every single customer to the absolute best of your ability. You'll treat them extremely well. You'll prioritize them extremely well. And I really think that that's an extraordinary mindset that's often lost as companies do scale up and do grow and they start growth hacking and doing all of, all of the amazing things. But losing sight of the value of individual customers and the lifetime value of those customers is absolutely critical to make sure that you recognize these people will be with you. And as we all know, it's five times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to retain a current one. So I think that point about the mindset is absolutely critical. And then we can get into mechanics and there's lots of different ways to identify, connect with and engage your customers, make them feel like they're part of something. And again, identify profitable behaviors and start to drive them through that whole sequence of behavior over time. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So do you think of loyalty being different than affinity? I've got my favorite clothing brand. I, I wear Miles Apparel all of the time. And I would consider myself a loyal customer to Miles. I have a high affinity for their product. I like what their brand stands for. But they don't have a loyalty program. I don't get points. I don't get free t-shirts when I buy pants. They've done a nice job building me as a loyal customer, but it's not part of the loyalty program. How do you separate out loyalty from loyalty programs? Well, certainly the reason I called my podcast Let's Talk Loyalty was exactly to that point, Ben. So it's really important to understand what the customer needs, what they expect, and a structured loyalty program. If you think about a company like Apple, for example, they just don't have a loyalty program. So I think sometimes loyalty programs are seen as a compensation for maybe just, again, a product that's the same as something else. But for me, you have to have an extraordinary product to get started 
doing absolutely the best thing you can. I believe in the principle of simplicity as well. So does the customer understand exactly what this brand is doing and exactly where it's positioned in the market? And then on top of that, you may layer a loyalty program or you may not. There's lots of different ways again to do it. But for me, focus on the basics, get all of that right. And I really wouldn't start thinking about a structured loyalty program until everything else is working superbly well in the business. I'm glad that you mentioned Apple because I was actually going to think about that where you mentioned before the phone services. Well, the phones are relatively similar, whether you're using AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, you're using an iPhone. That is a competitive, basically a zero-sum industry where when a company signs a customer to a contract, they're probably taking that from one of their competition. There's not a lot of new customers that are coming online for those industries, as opposed to when you're developing something that is net new, Your loyalty is basically built around how good and successful your products are. Do you see that loyalty programs are right for specific types of businesses where there is a lot of competition and not a lot of differentiation? Or are companies that are doing product development like Apple doing loyalty programs as well? I definitely think it's the sameness problem that loyalty is particularly designed to fix, Ben. So to our point about telecommunications companies, I've also done a huge amount of work, for example, in the energy sector. And again, customers don't really perceive the difference between, well, I'm getting my electricity supply from these guys versus those guys. And I don't know the brands in the US, you'll have to forgive me. But how does an energy company actually create brand loyalty? In the one I worked on, for example, it was again a similar partnership model. So we went out and negotiated unique and exclusive benefits. And what we really did also, I think, was identify, first of all, which of those energy customers were really the most valuable to the business. Because again, actually, energy has razor thin margins. So if you're going to invest in customers, you need to invest in the right ones. And I think the industry, certainly in Europe, and I guess this has probably happened in the US as well, I think the pricing strategy for a lot of companies, again, particularly in utilities, was so aggressive that particularly they always went out and invested in giving the lowest discounts to acquiring new customers. And loyal customers who had been signed up with that energy company, for example, for many years, really started to resent that. The same happens with pay TV, like Sky TV in the UK, who again have been guests on my show. And I really think over time, these brands have realized that actually they're penalizing customers for their loyalty. And it's a zero sum game. Like that kind of behavior really isn't going to stand you in good stead in the long term. So in fact, actually at the moment, I know in the UK, there is a class action lawsuit being brought against some of these companies because the customers are just feeling hard done by like, why am I being penalized for sticking around for so long? I thought that was the whole point. Or otherwise I have to go through a whole negotiation in order to compete with a new customer acquisition strategy. So to answer your question, I think anybody building innovative products, their attention and focus should probably be on that kind of product. To my point earlier about getting that right. And then if you do have something where you're competing with something quite similar and the industry is all growing, then absolutely you need to focus and create connection, permission to communicate with your customers and a fair value exchange as well. So they feel like, actually, I'm getting something back as well as what I expect. So hopefully some kind of surprise and delight along the way as well. So you mentioned that there's a difference between creating loyalty and a loyalty program. 
You mentioned there is the point system, that there's a partnership system. Walk me through some of the other ways where you've seen brands create successful loyalty programs. What are some of the mechanisms? Historically, the oldest mechanism, in fact, was Green Shield stamps. I don't know, would you've ever heard of those? What's a Green Shield stamp? So originally in the United States, in the early 1920s, there was a company that was set up to actually issue stamps so that retailers could reward when customers came in to visit. And the extraordinary point about stamps, which obviously reward frequency, at one point there were more of those stamps in issuance than the U.S. Postal Service. So it was an extraordinary business. Now, stamps are still used. I'm sure you've all been to a coffee shop where there's a piece of card and somebody puts a nice little stamp on it and you get 10 and you get one back. But you got to keep it in your wallet. This is something that hopefully we've digitized by now. It drives me nuts. <laughs> I know. It definitely has been digitized in, let's say, mature markets. I definitely still see it in less advanced markets, Ben, so definitely not global. But stamps work. It's, again, simple, like points. I think people get it. It's been around for 100 years. Buy 10, get one free. That's basically the mechanism or the model. Exactly. So it doesn't matter how big or how small you are. You can always leverage that concept. And again, everybody gets it. So stamps and points. And then gamification, I think, is a very interesting strategy as well, Ben. I was talking, for example, recently again on my show with Dell, with their U.S. Global Loyalty Manager. And Dell have seen an extraordinary power of engaging customers by entertaining them. So at a time when, again, you mightn't have the budget to always put in a points currency or rich rewards, what you can do is say, look, why don't you watch this video or play a game? And you can give points out then to a selected number of people who are members of the program. And for a brand like Dell to endorse gamification really kind of blew my mind because I think we've all recognized that gamers, by their very nature, have quite addictive behavior. So for us as loyalty marketeers or business owners to be able to say, you know what, actually, I want a bit of that kind of psychology into my company. And certainly gamification, again, as one that over the past few years has been extremely successful. And then I think my favorite model at the moment, I already briefly alluded to it, Ben, but it's the whole concept of subscribing. And it has been around as a business model for a long time, clearly. So whether it's Netflix or Amazon Prime, obviously the business model has a very good understanding. But I think what it's moved on is beyond just even replenishment services. So we know there's all things like MealPal, for example, or grocery deliveries that we can subscribe to. But from a loyalty perspective, there's a phenomenal example, particularly that I've been writing a lot about recently, and that's Panera Bread, which certainly there in North America has about two and a half thousand cafes and a very successful loyalty program already. But what they decided to do actually just before the pandemic, so I think they were quite lucky with the timing, but they launched a fixed price subscription program for unlimited coffee. Now, this is coffee that you come into the store to collect. So it's something that's obviously a physical product. Thankfully, the margins on coffee are quite good. So Panera Bread, I presume, have done a very robust business case around making sure they're not losing money. But for $8.99, you can literally go to Panera Bread and get unlimited filter coffee. And what I love about that model actually is the cross-sell and the upsell has been absolutely extraordinary. So their visits frequency has gone from an average of four per member per month to about 10 per member per month. And they also said that I think it's particularly a pandemic mindset, perhaps, 
that there's something around the certainty of knowing that this is all I'm going to spend on coffee because they actually shared a genius insight, Ben, and I don't know if you suffer from this, but I certainly do. But there's a lot of consumer guilt when people buy expensive, premium, barista-crafted coffee. I was waiting to make my joke there, but really, it sounds like Panera Bread is selling a month worth of coffee for the price of a Starbucks cup. It's unbelievable. It really is. They literally said, look, if you can save your customers over $1,000 a year and still make money out of it because they're going to come and buy a sandwich, actually, even if they didn't originally intend to, the business model clearly has worked so well. So the last numbers they published, they have 800,000 paying subscribers on this model. And also their sister companies in Europe and the UK have also launched exactly the same subscription model. So when we look at what's going on in the world of loyalty, definitely very exciting. It's an interesting topic when you think about building brand affinity, building loyalty, making sure that your customers think positively about you. And that's not always just a branding process. It's also built into your product as well. That's why these loyalty models are so interesting to me. So we're going to bring Paula back again tomorrow and talk more about not only building customer loyalty through loyalty programs, but also figuring out what drives brand stickiness. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Paula Thomas, host of the Let's Talk Loyalty Podcast. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Paula and I are going to discuss what drives brand stickiness. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Paula, you can click on the link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is Paula Thomas, P-A-U-L-A-T-H-O-M-A-S. Or you could visit her podcast website, which is Let's, with an S, L-E-T-S, Let's Talk Loyalty.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.